Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of Ephesians. I believe we have today and two more sermons together. God has been gracious to carry us through to equip and mold and shape. Thankful for his work in us. My focus will be today on chapter 6, verse 16 through 17, part 2 of the armor of God. You know that we're preaching faithfully through God's Word by His schedule and not ours when the sermon on Mother's Day is on the armor of God, typically a kind of sermon topic we might focus on the men. But, ladies, you need the armor as much as we do. Amen? And so we go faithfully to God's Word. Look with me at the whole passage, Ephesians six thirteen through 17 Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take on the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So far, Paul has shown us that spiritual warfare is a very real thing, church, for all of us who belong to Jesus, who are spiritually alive and no longer spiritually dead in our sin. The enemy we face is real, crafty, and relentless. And so we must be strong in the Lord and ready to withstand his attacks. Paul has made it clear so far that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, we need to do what Paul is saying here in verse 13 and beyond. We need to take up the whole armor of God, that we would be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. To stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And now our focus today, verse 16 and 17, as we come to understand the latter three pieces of the armor of God. Look with me at verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Let's first consider the attacks that we are facing so that we are ready to defend them. These are not actual flaming arrows you need to look for in the sky. No, they are spiritual attacks. And they come at us in all different forms, church. Sometimes the flaming darts of the evil one are obvious and we can see them coming from far off and other times they come out of nowhere and are upon us all of the sudden. Rarely are the enemy's attacks something beating down your door 
No, instead, they're often things like doubt. This is when we look at where we've been or we look at what's coming, headed our way, and we look at these things with the feeble eyes of our flesh and not with faith, not with the faith of God. When doubt comes near and you give it room to fester, instead of extinguishing it right away, we sinfully start to question God's Word and sometimes even His goodness. The flaming darts of the enemy are like discouragement. We can easily get captured by discouragement where we lose sight of God's mighty power and promises and only hold on to what is temporary and what is fleeting. And so when that's going bad, then we're just all unraveled. The flaming darts of the enemy are like diversion. The attack of diversion is to get our attention or our longings on the wrong things so that they begin to seem attractive, maybe more fulfilling than the Lord and what honors Him. The flaming darts of the enemy are like defeat. When the enemy can get your head down and and, and tempt you to throw a pity party for yourself, and you begin to want to just throw in the towel and not fight for the Lord or fight for what the Lord calls righteous. Satan wants nothing more, church, than to bait you with wealth, with pleasure, with keeping up with others, maybe fame, maybe just acceptance, maybe relationships, or, or maybe the way we, we think that a relationship should look like and we overvalue a certain framework. Maybe it's self-accomplishment. Or maybe it's false peace. You think, well, I'm just going to do this because then I'll finally have peace. But that's false peace. No, we must be so mindful of the harmful ways and working our sinful flesh. And our deceptive enemy is coming at us all the time. Church, we need our faith to go to work to protect us like a shield. This is Paul's point. Self-focused thoughts lead to real sin. Over-focus on your temporary circumstances lead to real despair. This is what happens when we put down our shield of faith. Memories that once defined us before Christ... We allow to creep back in. And even we allow them even to haunt us when we put down our shield of faith. The threat of what may come, a, a verdict in court, a fine for an offense, a penalty at work, the loss of a job, the results of a medical exam can leave us paralyzed with worry 
when we put down our shield of faith. Paul emphasizes the armor and the defense of the shield of faith. But but what is faith? That's a word that we use a lot. It's and I think it's often misunderstood. If you were to go to the dictionary to look up what faith is, you would get 17 different definitions. The world is clearly confused. So many ideas of what faith is. It can be difficult then to have good clarity. Even conversation about what faith is, what true Christian faith is. Thankfully, God's Word brings good clarity to cut through the cloudiness of the confusion. Consider with me these poignant words in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Let's look at the second part of that definition for a moment. The conviction of things not seen. Faith is a conviction of things I can't see. It's a true and real rest, trust, on what is out of sight. This is so important for us, especially when all you can see with your eyes or feel with your body is hardship and pain. You are desperate for your faith to go to work. Are you guilty of giving too much credit to what you are seeing or feeling and not enough credit or lean on your faith in the Lord? The author of Hebrews gives some extra clarity to this part of the definition by going to verse 3, Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Faith understands that creation, all that is seen, was made out of what is not seen. The Creator, God. Faith is what sees what is not seen and is convicted by it. The conviction is a key, especially key because Scripture tells us that all of mankind sees the evidence of the Creator in seeing His creation, but many are not convicted by it. Romans 1.20, for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, things that are invisible, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, what's visible, so they are without excuse. We all look at the same evidence, but not all have the same conviction to trust in what can't be seen. Faith is taking hold of God, who cannot be seen, because you see the evidence of His sovereign fingerprints. And what you can see. And you're convicted by it. Church, faith is not blind. 
In other words, it's not baseless or reckless. It's not a wish. It's not optimism. Faith in God is not just a leap at something you hope to be true. No, this kind of thinking falls into a notion of, I'm going to believe it into existence. I'll fake it until I make it. I'll work really hard to make this become my reality. Please understand, that's not true faith. That's that's man-made religion at best. So when we're trusting in God, walking by faith, in a hard situation, very uncertain situation maybe, but you're trusting God, you're not giving in, you're not quitting, you trust that God's at work, you trust in God's plan, you walk by faith, That's not a blind, haphazard, throw-it-to-the-wind notion. Have you heard others speak of maybe your faith in moments like that and say, man, you got way more faith than I do? In some ways, they're saying you are willing to blindly trust what is not trustworthy from their perspective. But that's because that person doesn't have solid faith. They're thinking about it wrong. They don't see the confidence of your heart, the resolve of your spirit to truly and fully trust in God. They fail to be truly convicted that God has the situation in His sovereign hands. To them... They see blind, reckless faith. Which is why they say, I can't join you there. But faith is not blind. Faith is also not a feeling. I've encountered many people over the years who have claimed to be Christians, but when talking more with them, it becomes evident that what they believe in or trust and is not completed, it's not the completed, perfect work of Christ on their behalf. So their so-called faith is simply a mental assent or a gut feeling that they're good with God. But faith is not based on a person's feelings or attitude. Your faith is based, if your faith is based on these things, That's why your faith feels so unstable. Because it's not based on God Himself. It's not based on the completed work of Jesus on your behalf, which is solid. True faith is based wholly on God, who is trustworthy, who is unchanging, who is all-powerful. God is greater than stable. So when you're feeling really unstable and and it's just all a mess, your faith causes you to rest in what is stable. That's so key, church, Christian. 
A lot of people believe a lot of different things about God or about Jesus or about how one obtains salvation. But we must understand that just because someone says they have faith or belief doesn't mean they're saved. Consider the first part of the definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, faith is a deep confidence in the promises of God that they're true. That He is faithful. That He's not going to pull the rug out from underneath you last minute. Now, hear me clearly. This is a little deep, but it's key. Faith doesn't create what we hope for. That would just be a mere mind game. It is truly trusting in the promises of God. It is the one who says, I will take my life off the temporary failed things that I can see, that I can trust in, that I, and I can put it on the eternal, absolute promises of God whom I can't see, but I totally hope in Him. To hope in God's ability to deliver in opposition to the things we previously hoped in that can't deliver. So are you feeling upset? The apple cart's getting turned over in your life lately? Maybe that's because you've been hoping in frail, temporary, circumstantial things instead of grounding yourself on the rock that is Christ. If God's doing that in you in this season, praise Him for that because He's showing you what was so unstable about the footing you thought was good. That's a blessing to you. So that in this moment, if you truly have faith in Him, you would stand on the rock. You would stand on His promises. You would feel and and come to know what is less unsettling, even as the storm still rages. Psalm 34a, O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Faith is being sure of God's promises, that they're worth putting our hope in. The late Dutch Reformed theologian Herman Bavink says it this way, Faith in Christ enables believers, in spite of all the riddles that perplex them, to cling to the conviction that the God who rules the world is the same loving and compassionate Father who in Christ forgave them all their sins, accepted them as His children, and will bequeath to them eternal blessedness. Amen? Oh, I want you to know that, church. Christian, your faith means you rest in the Lord and not in your circumstances. Faith at work says Christ has secured my salvation, not me. Faith at work says, Christ is the one who has my future in his hands, not my boss, not my doctor, not this judge. Faith 
at work says, Christ is all I need to be joyful and satisfied so I don't look to another to fulfill that in me. Church, faith is a gift of God. Paul and Peter both clearly tell us that our faith is a gift from God. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake. Both are a gift. Faith and suffering for the name of Christ. We do both the believing and the suffering. No one does it for us. But both are a gift of God, therefore only done because He entrusts them to us to do. Therefore we have nothing to boast in. 2 Peter 1.1 Simon Peter, a servant of the Apostle Jesus Christ, to those, through, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. We have received our faith as a precious gift. Church, this is good news. That means you don't have to wake up and go find it. That means you don't have to cook it up. God gives it to you. Hebrews 12, we're told that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Therefore, church, we need Jesus. 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith affirms this in saying, This faith, although it be in different stages and may at times be weak or strong, it gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. Christian, Are you holding up the shield of faith every day? Are you holding it up throughout the day? Are you putting it to work against the enemy's attacks and the work of your own flesh? You must or you are susceptible to being seriously knocked down. Look at our verse. One more time before we move on to the next piece of armor. In verse 16 it says, In all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Paul says we're to take up the shield of faith in all circumstances. So this means in really hard times, Christians in faith say, I'm sad, but this is not my bottom line. I'm not crushed by this. Nothing can touch my bottom line because I trust in Jesus. And Christians in success, great success and great moments of elation, celebration, Christians will say in those moments in faith, settle down, heart. This is nice. This will have some sweet perks that are momentary. But this is not my greatest joy. 
My greatest joy is in Christ. In all circumstances, church, hold up that shield of faith. We need our faith to go to work all the time. Why? Because we're in battle. Our shield needs to be up. There's not a break room in the middle of the battlefield. Right? I think sometimes we go at our Christianity, we think this way. You know, we kind of think of certain times or seasons as I'm in the battle, but there's these other times I'm in this, this crazy break room. The battle's happening outside the door. I'm, I'm good right now. No, no, no. You're in a great moment of being ready to be deceived in that moment. You're in the battle. You're in the valley of the shadow of death until he takes you home. Hold up the shield of faith. Consider with me the uniqueness of the shield before we move on. Paul's day, the, the soldier had two kinds of shields. The small one was round or oblong, small enough to be able to be held and move so that it could be helped, it could be used in close combat. The other was very large, like a door, big. Some say up to four to five feet tall, two feet wide. Why? So that you could tuck your body behind it for the onslaught of arrows flying at you. The goal was to tuck the entire body, and the soldiers would advance side by side in rows in an attempt to create walls against the onslaught of the enemy. Peter says here that our faith in Christ should keep us, should protect us like this in combat. It should cover our entire life so that no part of us is exposed to the enemy's advances. And it should link up with other believers in true unity to make a solid wall of defense against the enemy's advances, whether those advances are against the church as a whole or against an individual. Christians, don't do this alone. One of the greatest victories of the enemy in your life is when you don't pick up the phone, when you don't reach out for prayer, when you don't say, hold me accountable, help me see Jesus. When you think, nah, nah, this, I'll figure it out. I'll go out alone. No, make a wall. Make a wall. Unite together against the enemy's attacks. Praise God for his work of faith in and through us. Now, the fifth piece of armor. Found in verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Church, a helmet in battle or in any other extreme situation is vital for keeping you alive. It protects the vital organ of the mind. If you smush or dent or rattle the brain, you're in big trouble, right? Your life is in serious jeopardy, may never be the same. Therefore, a helmet is really needed if you're going to get knocked around, okay? Are you walking down the beach in this life? No, you're in a battle. You need a helmet. Church, we need to see this. Paul gives us a little more insight into what he has in mind here as we look to his letter 
1 Thessalonians 5.8 But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul says here that the hope we have in our salvation is like a helmet to our head. Why is the fact that God has secured us in salvation so vital to protecting our head? If we're going to withstand the persistent, manipulative, violent attacks of the enemy in this spiritual battle, we must have a mind that is well furnished with the promises of God and the completed work of Christ on our behalf as we are secure in Him for salvation until the end. Amen? See that. Charles Hodge says it this way, the helmet of salvation adorns and protects the Christian by enabling him to hold up his head with confidence and joy in the fact that he has a lot of money in his bank account. No. In the fact that, man, his body's in great shape. All that hard work's paying off. In the fact that the kids are getting along. In the fact that whatever, no, 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 no. In the fact He's able to hold his head up with confidence and joy in the fact that he is saved. He is the one of the redeemed, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. If still under condemnation, if still estranged from God, a foreigner, an alien without God, without Christ, he would have no courage to enter the conflict. It is because he is a fellow citizen of the saints, a child of God, a partaker of the salvation of the gospel that he can face even the most potent enemies with confidence, knowing that he is more than a conqueror through him who loved him. Christian, do you have a helmet of your salvation firmly fixed on your head? You need to never lose sight of who you are in Christ. And what he alone has done to secure you. Yes, this lost world is wicked and it's relentless. But it cannot claim us who belong to Christ. For we have been claimed by Christ. Listen to Paul's words, 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9. through 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed Christian don't even use words that allow your mind to think that you can even get to such a place because you are in Christ don't say you're undone don't say you are in despair Don't say you are in hell. 
Those are not true of you who belong to Jesus. It's hard when we are afflicted in every way, when we are perplexed, when we are persecuted, when we are struck down. Have you been in that place where you're feeling persecuted or struck down to such a degree that you turn to God and say, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Like it's your end? Christian, it's not your end. Don't talk to God like you're in a place that you're not. Know who you are in your salvation to endure the hardship, the persecution, the being struck down. Keep your helmet on your head. With these truths of who you are in Christ cemented in your brain, You're not crushed. You're not driven to despair. You're not forsaken. And you're not destroyed. Let me ask you to consider how you might be taking off your helmet, letting your circumstances of your hardship get to you. Are you losing sleep? Are you experiencing Depression? Are you feeling on an island? Are you filled with worry and fear? Are you acting out in fleshly ways that are contrary to who you are in Christ? These are signs you've taken off your helmet. Christian, put your helmet back on. Know who you are in Christ, who you are in your salvation, and stay there. Don't let the enemy or your flesh have its way in these times. The holy, the living, The Almighty God has saved and secured you. This is so game-changing. Who is going to get to you if God has secured you? Nobody. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, later in that same chapter. Just listen so carefully here. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, 
but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen? This light momentary affliction can be something you would go through for a lifetime. Because in comparison to eternity, it is light and it is momentary. Compared to the eternal weight of glory, (laughs) praise God for salvation in Christ. Listen to Jesus' words for you. His beloved sheep. Listen to what it means that you have been saved by Him. John 10, 27-29 My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Amen? So if you're walking out of your house to be persecuted... You're walking into court to be judged. You're walking into what is going to be a really hard meeting with brutal consequences. You're in his hand, Christian. The enemy can't have you. Know who you are in your salvation and walk by faith. Finally, the sword. All the kids just got excited. <laughs> Done with all this defensive armor. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As mentioned before, this is the only part of the armor that has an offensive nature offense, not defense. Everything else is defensive. Every other part of the armor is meant to withstand the enemy while we do the Lord's work in this time and place. But there's a vital offensive weapon the the Lord puts in our hands. It is His written and revealed Word. The sword of the Spirit is a weapon that the Spirit provides the believer. What is that weapon? The specific words of God. Is the answer the specific words of God? Paul, the word Paul uses here for word is not logos, which is the all encompassing, all authoritative final word of God. No, the Greek word Paul uses here is remma, which means a specific phrase with a definite meaning. Paul's emphasis here when speaking of the sword of the Spirit 
is on the particular truths found within God's written and revealed word. In other words, it's not, it's not the book as a whole as much as it's the collection of truths within it, the collection of verses and pericopes and paragraphs within it that we memorize, that we come to understand and live out and speak at moment's notice. It's the specific points of truth, doctrine, clarity that a person representing and belonging to God uses to combat deception, temptations of the enemy, and those representing this lost world. God's words of truth is all we need. It is all we need. His words of truth. And the Bible is filled with them. I want you to growingly have such a greater appreciation for the gift of God in the written words of His revelation. I want us to be a church that's not guilty of treating this thing like a trinket in our religious practice. We do business with it on occasion. But instead, as Christ says, it's like bread that we need to live. And here, as Paul says, a sword that we need to fight. Christian, let me ask you, how many bullets do you have in your gun when considering the words of God you have many bullets but are you loading them into the weapon or are you leaving them sitting on the shelf at home do you realize how ineffective bullets on the shelf at home are when you're out in battle Bullets for your gun are not very effective unless they're loaded into the gun, ready to be used. The sword of the Spirit is the powerful, all-authoritative, impactful, far-reaching truths of God. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Can I just say, you're goofy. If you're like, oh, I want, I want this superpower or that superpower. How rad would it be to have that weapon or this weapon? Listen again to this definition. Tell me how anything's bigger or better than this. The Word of God is living. It's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. All swords are lame then. Compared to this. Sharper. Piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit. That's, that's powerful. Of the joints and the marrow. Uh, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's powerful. And yet so many of you are busy dreaming up of other man-made powers that we... Oh, how cool would that be? And you have this. And yet too many of us leave it on the shelf at home. We don't load the gun. 
I want you to see the potency of God's Word, the Word He's put in your hands. There's nothing better that He could equip you with. I know that to be true because He said so. We no longer need God to grant man with power for miraculous signs, as He did at one time before God's Word was fully written. No, we just need God's words and truths to combat the enemy. This is modeled by Jesus himself in a battle with Satan like you and I have never had. Okay? What Satan offered, tempted Jesus with is bigger than he's ever tempted you or I. Jesus didn't didn't have some bag of tricks and, and, and no. He just spoke the clear truths of God's word and one. That's it. Only with the word of God, Christian, do you become wiser than your spiritual enemies. Psalm 119.98 Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. To become handy with the sword of the Spirit, you need to become studied in the Word of God. Or as the psalmist says, we need to store up God's Word in our hearts. Psalm 119.11 I love what Paul does, or what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of truth to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Philippians 2, 14-16. Holding fast to the word of life. Hold your position. Hold your gaze. Keep close watch on your teaching, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 16. Acts 3, 5. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. The idea of holding fast our attention with our person, holding your position with the word of life, not leaving the word of life, not setting it aside. Staying fixed on the word of life. Giving yourself to the word of life. Holding fast to the word daily. Putting it deep in the soil of your heart so that your roots are deep, grounded, secure in the truths of God. Are you feeling beat up? Are you feeling run over? Can I ask you, how much time you're putting it, getting your roots in the, in the truths of God. Because if you're not, you're, the, the sword's on the shelf. No wonder you're taking blow after blow. you got no sword in your hands, church. We have to train. We have to meditate. Psalm 1, 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's a lot of meditating. The word meditate here doesn't mean cross legs. Hmm. It, it means to speak or mutter. 
When this is done in the heart, it's called musing or meditation. Meditation on the Word of God day and night means to speak to yourselves the Word of God day and night. Now, you do this clearly as you read the Bible, but there's a practice here that the saints of old would do that we need to have a better grip of, and that is with Bible memorization. So that you can speak the words of God day and night. Utilizing memorized scripture to combat the enemy. John Piper emphasized why Bible memorization is so important, especially when equipping us with the sword of the Spirit against our enemy. A few comments from him. Memorizing Scripture makes meditation possible at times when you can't read the Bible. And meditation is the pathway of deeper understanding. That musing on the truths of God. Memorizing Scripture shapes the way you view the world by conforming your mind to God's viewpoint. Memorizing Scripture makes God's Word more readily accessible for overcoming temptation to sin. Because God's warnings and promises are the way we conquer the deceitful promises of sin. Memorizing Scripture guards your mind by making it easier to detect error And the world is filled with error, since the little g God of this world is a liar. Memorizing Scripture provides the strongest and sweetest words for ministering to others who are in need. Memorizing Scripture provides a deeper fellowship with Jesus because He talks to you through the written word, and we talk to Him in prayer. Memorizing Scripture enables us to hit the devil in the face with a force he cannot resist. And so we get to protect our family and our own lives from his wicked assaults. Church, God's Word in your heart and on your mind and in your mouth is a sword. The question is, are you wielding it? Or are you guilty of constantly leaving it home? Constantly staying busy with other things, spending very little time with it. Christian, you should not attempt to walk through this devil-ruled world without a sword. God has truly blessed us with His written word. But are we training in it so that we are ready to wield it when needed? We are at war. Spiritual battle. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Christian, are you wearing the armor of God that He has provided for you? 
Are you specific to wake up each day and put it on and keep it on? Are you training in it? I love you. You need to be training. I want you to think about sending your children to the armed forces. They're going to go to the front lines of war. And they call you, Mom, Dad, we're having so much fun at boot camp. We play cards. We watch movies. We play sports. We eat great meals. We watch tons of Netflix. We, 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 we hang out with each other. There's like a family here. We're just hanging out. You'd be so concerned for that little one, for, that, for your child to go to war if that's their preparation and training. Let us take seriously our reality, take seriously our parenting of our kids, take seriously of our own lives and marriages and our individual days to train put on the armor to take it so serious God is good to provide us with these things amen now we must take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand pray with me father we thank you for this time that we have together to worship you, to study your word. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you are at work, the ways in which you are molding and, con- and shaping and convicting us. I'm especially praying and and hopeful for our mothers today that instead of feeling coddled, they're thankful to be prepared. They're thankful to be reminded of your goodness, of what you've done and what you've provided, how you're at work, how you have us, how you won't lose us if we truly belong to you. Thank you, Lord. Let us be active, training, serious about these things. Let us not think about the armor of God four months from now, ten years from now. I remember in 2021, that's when pastor preached on the armor of God. No, every day, Lord, every day. Let us get this. Let us put it to work. For we are at war for your glory, for others' eternal good. We fight. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.